Good morning. Before we pray this morning, I wanted to take a moment of silence. As many of us have already received the news, there's been another, what appears to be racially motivated, killing Buffalo, New York. At least 10 of our brothers and sisters gunned down. And I wanna just take a moment to acknowledge their lives and acknowledge the brokenness of our country. Almighty God, in your revelation to John, you gave us a vision of heaven. You showed us men and women from every tribe and tongue and ethnicity and race gathered around the throne, worshiping you, precious people who were bought by the blood of the lamb. And God, here we are on this side of heaven in the brokenness, killing each other, spilling each other's blood. God, we long for this day that we read about in Revelation 20, where you're gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. No more mourning, no more pain where you're gonna be our light. God, we pray that you would fill us with hope this morning. Fill us with hope as we long for this day. Help us to be agents of your peace, of your renewal. Help us to be like the lamb that lays down his life We need your grace. All this we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is John, and I am the pastor here. It's good to see you in church this morning. Missed you last week. Some of us went away to a retreat in Sharp Top, and we had a good time without you, if you missed it. Um, we started there talking about Revelation 7, and it was good. And this morning, I want us to continue in Revelation, um, looking uh, at Revelation 20. I was talking with my wife, Jana, and we were, she was trying to remember. She's like, what are you preaching on this week? I was like, we're at Revelation. She's like, I don't ever remember us preaching on Revelation during Easter. You know, Normally, we're preaching on those other Easter texts. And I said, you know what? This is actually about the resurrection of all things. So in Easter, right, on Easter Sunday, we're looking at the resurrection of Christ's body. 
But that resurrection is going to grow and going to grow and going to grow so that all of the things that God wants to raise up are going to be raised up and made new, just like the glorious body of Christ. Here in Revelation 20, we get a vision of what the resurrection of all creation might look like when God makes all things new. In verse one that Ashley read for us this morning, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Sea in this case represents um, all that is scary and, and wars against the people of God. The sea kind of represents this in the Bible. Don't worry, you'll still be able to get to go to the beach, okay? I would be concerned about that too, but it's, it's a figurative thing here. And then in verse five, See, I am making all things new. It's about the renewal of all creation. A couple of years ago, during the pandemic, uh, we were still resident in California at that time, but everything was mobile. You could do all things on the internet, right? And so we found ourselves in small town Louisiana, where my wife, Jana, is from. And there was a house on, on kind of this little main street historic district like we have in these little main, main street towns, right? Um, a house that was belonged to a relative of a relative who had just passed away, and now that house was available. It was for sale, but it didn't go up yet. Um, and we kind of had the inside track. And it was like, hey, we have nothing to do. We might as well try and buy a house and, and renovate it, you know? So we went to go look at it to see if this might be a good idea. Might it be a good investment? And this house was built around 1890. Um, not a very large house at the time. It was a two, two bedroom, one bath, um, but it had some charm to it. There were some things, like it had some really nice chandeliers that were original to the house, some really beautiful fireplaces, you know, beautiful hardwood floors that were in need of a lot of love, but you could tell they might be beautiful if you did something to them. And high ceilings, right? Who doesn't love good 12 foot ceilings, right? They just make you feel good when you walk into a room. But if you looked at it, it was mostly a lot of rotting wood around the perimeter. The yard didn't look nice at all, it had zero curb appeal. Um, the kitchen that had been added on in the 50s in the back of the house wasn't original, wasn't an especially happy place to like walk into. And so it took a little vision, like, is this something that we would wanna do or not? And we actually went ahead with it. We took a little courage and we, we kind of dove in, decided to renovate this house. And I know it's a bummer. I don't have any like before and after pictures. I was trying to procure some, but it, it didn't work out. Um, but we took this house that had some things that were really great about it, at least originally to it, but was in need of a lot of love. And we ended up doing a full-on restoration to it. And you guys have watched, I'm sure all of us watched a little HGTV or something, right? And we get, it's easy to kind of get into this, but it's fun to see this, right? How you got these before pictures and these after pictures. And you can imagine if ever you've done something like this on a home or you watch one of these shows, there's certain things you wanna keep, right? Like in our case, we we're actually trying to keep everything we could that was original to the house because it was important that we restored it. But in some instances, that involved us getting, or getting rid of some like nasty old door that had been put up in the 80s, right? And had to go find a, a used door that was older that looked and fit the period, right? Maybe there's some stuff in the garage that was from the 19th century that we could bring out and, and, and put into the house. And so we all had this idea of what it's like to restore something like that, right? You're gonna keep some of the parts, 
some of the things you're gonna, uh, you know, the rotten wood, you're gonna tear off and you're gonna put new boards in their place. And of course, you're gonna paint it and you're gonna do everything you can to make it look beautiful. What if we had a bigger project than a house like that? What if we had the project of doing something like renovating Atlanta? If we were gonna do a renovation of Atlanta, what would be some things that you would definitely wanna keep? What would be like the chandeliers and the fixtures, right? What would be like the ceilings of Atlanta that you're like, man, if God's gonna renovate Atlanta, we gotta make sure he keeps that. What do you wanna keep? What's great about Atlanta? What would you want to see changed? What would you want to see renewed about your city? If we were going to do a remodel, of course, we can think of the actual structure of the city, you know? Probably all of you thought about, okay, no more traffic, right? On the 80 or the 40 or the 285. I think that would be part of it, right? I'm pretty sure in the new world, there's not gonna be any traffic. I don't know how God's gonna do it, but I'm sure it's gonna be amazing. I think city planning is definitely part of it, right? And parks and all that kind of stuff and where houses are located. But I'm also talking about what would you renovate in the people themselves? Both individually, but also collectively. What would we wanna see different about society? Using this image from Revelation, we might ask the question, if God were gonna move in here, as he does in Revelation 20, if he were gonna move in with us, what might be some things that we might wanna do to make it the kind of place that God would want to live in? What do we need to do to make this place move in ready for God? In Revelation today, we get a glimpse of heaven and I'm gonna share a little bit, I'll recap a little bit from last week in case you missed it, of why these people need a revelation in the first place. John is writing to the church in Asia Minor. Why is it that this is what God wants to say to them in this time? Why is it that these people need a glimpse of heaven? Well, if you know the story, these are people that are experiencing hell on earth. And so God is going to give them a picture of what heaven on earth might look like. They need to be reminded of their future. And so if you were with us last week, as we talked about chapter seven, I'm just gonna recap a little bit from Revelation seven of what that picture of heaven is like. And then today in Revelation 20, we're gonna add to it. So a quick recap on chapter seven, we see a vast multi-ethnic, multinational liturgical community. People from every tribe and nation are gathered around the throne and they're worshiping and they're participating in the liturgy of heaven. In fact, this community keeps growing. It actually starts with just the angels and then more and more people, more angels are added and then more and more people, you got the elders. And then at the time you get to chapter seven, it's a vast multitude of people that have been redeemed by the lamb. So it's this growing multi-ethnic liturgical community. And then it's a vision of heaven that actually subverts cultural narratives, and human power structures. The easiest image that you can get for this is that there's a lamb upon the throne. 
And this lamb was slain out of love for the people. So this lamb is now the shepherd of the people because the lamb has given his life for the people. And that tells you everything you need to know about the power of heaven. This is what the the nature of the power of heaven is a self-giving love. And so we asked, who's the one that has been the most loving and the most self-giving? And we're gonna put that one up and we're gonna raise that one up and we're gonna worship that one. It turns out it's Jesus Christ upon the throne. And then the third thing we see is a vision of peace and wholeness and flourishing under the lordship of the lamb. So that's some things that, oh, I forgot to tell you. We were asked the question, we're going to answer it. Why are these people in Asia Minor, you know, why do they need a vision? I said they're living in hell on earth, but I should probably explain a little bit. Um, they're going through a period of persecution. It's the 90s. So AD 90s, not 1990s, the original 90s, right? Um, clothes were just as cool, I think. Um, they had good hip hop music. Um, but um, the thing that was unfortunate is that kind of the cult of the emperor, people were beginning to really worship the emperor and talk about how the emperor basically has everything we need to save us and everything we need to bring peace into the world and everything we need to bring the different nations together. And these Christians were happy with doing their best to be like good Roman citizens, right? And work for the goodness of their neighborhood and and be good neighbors. But what they couldn't do is give the glory to the Roman emperor that was only due to the lamb on the throne. And so they're starting to have problems and they're starting to get persecuted. They're starting to be disenfranchised. They're starting to be kind of left out of, of really important things. And in some cases, they were being tortured and even killed. And so this vision that I began to describe in, in Romans 7, God begins to give them a vision that's gonna sustain them and encourage them through this great tribulation. And then in Revelation 20, we get, again, a glimpse of heaven. But this time, instead of just heaven being in heaven, Revelation 20 is about a glimpse of heaven that comes to earth. It's the renewal of creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. And if it includes, of course, getting rid of some old stuff, but it's not just God just throwing it all the way. It's actually a picture that reminds us of God's commitment to creation. It's creation renewed. Creation is still God's project. He still loves it. He's not trying to just level the house. He's not like, oh, let's get rid of that house and we're gonna completely build something new. It's like, no, there's things in there that God wants to renew and reuse. And so there's the continuity between this old creation and this new world that God is bringing about. You see, God's purposes for creation are still going to be fulfilled. They've been derailed by evil And things obviously have gone wrong in creation, but God is here to renew it. So one, we see a renewal of creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And two, we see a new Jerusalem. This is actually heaven that comes down to earth. Now, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament scriptures, you know that Jerusalem is the city of God and in Jerusalem is the temple. And the temple is thought to be this place where earth and heaven meet together. God's presence comes down and he meets the people. So it's like this very thin space where where God is quite literally among his people. And God is saying, we're gonna bring this back. He says, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be their God. 
for these persecuted Christians living in Asia Minor in the 90s, they're probably asking two questions. One, is God really for us? Or maybe is God still for us? And two, is there any place on earth for us? How do we live? And God assures them of his promise. One, he's actually going to live among his people. He's still with them. And then two, he promises to be their God. They're still his people, he's still their God. He's gonna renovate this place. They're gonna rule and reign with him and he's gonna renovate the earth and he's gonna move in with them. So one, we got a new creation. Two, we have a new Jerusalem. Three, God is gonna wipe every tear from their eyes. And they have been crying as they have watched their brothers and sisters undergo torture and even death. And in this new world that God is bringing about, it's a world without mourning. It's a world without pain. It's only pure joy. And so in summary, God is bringing about a renewed world. All the bad stuff is gonna come undone. Pride, violence, hatred, oppression, indifference, along with all the pain in the morning, it's all going to pass away. And this distinction between heaven and earth is going to become unmeaningful because God is going to move down The earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. The earth is going to be transformed into heaven. The city of God is restored and exalted. And there's a new humanity that's gonna know flourishing and joy in the presence of God. So what's our takeaway from a text like this? It sounds good, right? It's like, sounds really beautiful. I could use a little of this right now. But how does a text like this about the future form our lives now? One question we might ask is, is the text like this calling us to check out? Or is it calling us to check in? Let me explain to you what I mean by check out. I was in a conversation this week with a friend, a really good friend of mine. He's like a brother to me. I actually haven't seen him in 10 years lives here in the South, and we were just catching up. And he's experienced a lot of hurt from the church, um, churches that we might consider, you know, more under the fundamentalist label, but like a lot of churches here, I'm sure, in the South. And he was just sharing about his experience. And he was saying, you know, every time I've gone into church, it's like I leave feeling worse than when I came. And it's really all about how bad we are and kind of like about how hopeless the earth is. And it seems like it's only about going to heaven. And so as if this life is only about what's going to happen later, right? And some of us have probably been in these kinds of churches that have placed little value on this present life, whether it's your friends or your vocation or your hobbies your intellectual curiosities, they seem unimportant. And for some folks, it seems like the whole point of this life is to do everything you can to get to the next life, right? Some people might read our passage today in Revelation 20, and they imagine that it's a call for them to check out. 
God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And so I don't need to worry about this one. I'd like to suggest to you that my friend's instincts are actually correct. That God really does care about beauty and goodness and human flourishing in our present world. And so we could ask, how does focusing on this new world that God is bringing about help us live in the present world? How does focusing on heaven help us here on earth? How does this glimpse of heaven help? For instance, what is the Apostle Paul getting at when he writes to the Colossians? If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your things, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. This is how we might explain it. With the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we actually believe that this old world has already begun to pass away with its ways of sin and oppression and violence. And through the resurrection, God has already begun to bring about a new world. And I know this to be true because I have met some of you. And I have come to know that God is already at work making you new. And this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 5 when he writes, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. So what does it mean to set our minds on things that are above, not on things on earth? Well, on earth, we begin to live according to the ways of heaven. Anyone here ever tried to put together some Ikea furniture or just like try to build something, something in that vein, right? Um, it always seems more difficult when you get home than when you look at it. You're like, the story, I can make this and you get there, right? Well, what do you do? You're like building it and then you keep going back to the instructions, right? And sometimes you're looking at the individual steps because the individual steps are kind of really important, right? Um, even though they don't have words, you know, so you're trying to figure out what does this picture mean, Right? But sometimes what you have to do is you actually flip to the very end. Like, what does this thing look like when it's made? Like, I need to see a picture of it because it's like, if I can just figure out like what this whole thing looks like when it's put together, I can figure out maybe how these individual pieces get put together. And my friends, heaven shows us the blueprint. It shows us where things are going. It shows us the renovation that God is going to do with the earth. I don't know about you guys, but a renovated city, a renovated Atlanta, and some renovated people, that's actually what I'm here for. Like, that's why I'm here. We keep coming back here every Sunday together collectively to look at the blueprint. We come back together and we lift up the Lord and we read his scriptures and we receive him in the Eucharist and we do this to remember the final outcome. 
We're entering this liturgy of heaven. We're here to experience a little bit of heaven so that we might go out and be agents of heaven on the earth, wherever it is that God has called us to. This might be counterintuitive to your capitalist minds, but our church is not simply a purveyor of religious goods and services. Like, I'm, I'm just, by the way, I like capitalism. I like to buy and sell things. I do that. But we are not that. <laughs> like, we are not a purveyor of religious goods and services. Friends, we are here to create space for people to experience the presence of God along with the wholeness and the goodness and the beauty and the truth of heaven. We're not here to provide a worship experience for consumers who are shopping for a church. We're here for something way bigger than that. We're here to renovate Atlanta. And that's why we pray every single day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here for the renovation. I want you just to imagine, as I'm sure you often have, what does this kind of kingdom imagination, this kind of kingdom of heaven come to earth, how does this play out in your day-to-day life? As a parent, as someone who drops your kids off to school, as a single person, in your profession, as you teach school, as you carry out your job as a designer, as a lawyer, doing the thing that you do. What does it look like to do that as someone who's begun to live according to the rules of heaven? As someone who studied the blueprint a little bit, you're trying to figure out, okay, how does my profession as an investor, how does that fit in with this kingdom world that that God's bringing about? I hope it's clear to you that the actual Bible vision of heaven isn't this completely passive thing where we're like lying around on harps and uh, clouds and playing harps, all right? That actually doesn't come from the Bible. Heaven's a city. There's stuff happening. It's, It's a thing. Things are going on. It's got something to say to how we live our lives. It's coming to earth. I don't want you to misunderstand me. We don't make God's kingdom come. We don't even build his kingdom. And we don't renew creation. It's God that does all of this. We simply receive the kingdom by grace. We receive his renewal And we live in the world as God's renewed people. And in doing so, we become agents of renewal. Friends, the renewal of Atlanta has already begun. God grant us grace to model our life together around this new and beautiful and joy-filled world that God is bringing about. Amen.
I want to invite you now to a moment of silence as we reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to us.